Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me this week, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And we are in the second week of the Best Actress Award goes to Sally Field. And Corey, you picked the film Eye for an Eye from 1996 uh, that stars Sally Field. And I feel like we should just stop the month right now. No. Um... We will get into our review of the I don't, film. I don't really know what that means. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> oh, God, okay. Um, if you've never listened to Movie Club, this is a podcast where Corey and I realized about three years ago that we owned a bunch of movies that we'd never seen. And on top of that, there were a bunch of other big name movies that Corey and I had on our gap list. And in order to reduce the amount of movies on that list, we started doing this podcast where... Every week, one of us chooses a movie that at least one of us, if not both of us, have not seen. In this case, Eye for an Eye, neither of us had seen before this episode. Um, we watch it, we come here, we review the, the movie, we have not spoken to each other about it yet, and that's the format of Movie Club. We encourage our listeners to uh, join along and watch the movies with us, reach out to us, tell us what you think about the film so we can potentially share it here on the podcast. Um, I'm going to say this up front. I usually say this at the end, but if you like what we're doing, it would help us tremendously if you would rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast um, so that other people can hear it and hopefully tell us what they think about these movies. Um, the thing is with these, uh, we do pick a theme every month. And as I said, this month is um, the best actress goes to Sally Field. Last month, um, March of 2019, we did Jeff Bridges, which was a pretty successful month. I'd say most of the movies were good. I think the only one we really didn't like was Tron. We were split on um, uh, The Last Picture Show. I liked it. You didn't so much. But I think the other movies we watched with Bridges, we both uh, enjoyed. Yeah. So we're two weeks into the Sally Field. We started with Norma Ray, and now we're on Eye for an Eye. But before we get into our thoughts on Eye for an Eye, um, we are going to look at what else has been going on. So, Corey, how you been? Fine. Um, any, any news? Or is it cold outside? It is a little chilly. It was in the 60s last week. Super nice. Um, everything is blooming. And then it's been raining for the past two or three days. So it's in the 50s now. Hmm. It was spring. Um, <laughs> this See, we, oh, jumped, we jumped right to summer. It's like 90. <sighs> um, yeah, it's pretty hot the last couple of days. Like, I can deal with like low 90s here it's not that bad if i'm in the sun too long because we're you know i burn because i'm like neon white but mm -hmm. it's not oppressively hot yeah it, it is here um it's very humid as you know uh as you were once a floridian i mean um, i lived there for a while oh yeah but uh you know i um we don't well, this is no weather podcast so we don't want to strictly talk about the weather but uh, it's oh. been a a big week here because my daughter is now 15 um and so she's taken the online driving driver's ed course and we thought we were getting her restricted today but we found out we have to wait for this document to come in from the state that she's taken all of the necessary tests or whatever um so she'll be getting it soon which means my daughter will start driving and that's I with mean, you right with because me most likely um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure uh, how she'll handle that. Um, but, yeah, we're looking uh, – it's you know it's exciting. It's nerve-wracking to a degree for sure. But my, my kid's pretty smart, and she has a, 
a strong moral fiber. So I feel like she will be a very like cautious driver. Um, mm-hmm. And she, she has like the Batman code that I've instilled in her for a long time that we follow the rules. Um, rules are important. So I feel like that will play out uh, pretty strongly. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, I hope, you know, that's how it goes. I, I think she might get a little nervous driving. And I am, I am, while I am a good teacher of the subjects that I'm comfortable with, I don't know how I'll be as a driving instructor. So I am a little, little nervous that I'm going to be very spastic um, and like stomping the floorboard looking for a brake pedal kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, and that's not even a criticism to her. I just know how I am. Um, but a little high strung. Yeah. You know, it's uh, wanting to be in control a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a little bit, a little bit, but you know, I wouldn't want to be driven around by a 15 year old either. Yeah. We're definitely going to start in like a, a big empty parking lot, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, I think of going to movies and TV shows, my favorite scenario of someone teaching someone else to drive is from how I met your mother when uh, Ted discovers Barney never learned how to drive and he's teaching Barney and Barney's going like two miles an hour and is having like a panic attack that he's going to hit a pole and Ted's just laughing. <laughs> if you haven't seen that episode, it's uh, it's the one where Marshall's car is, looks like they're going to have to put it down because it's, it's not doing so well. And there's like, everyone's having flashbacks of their experience with the car. And that's Barney had to learn to drive in Marshall's car. So sorry. I, I, there's few TV shows that I know very well, and How I Met Your Mother is one of them. Uh, Friends is the one I know the most. I was about to say, also Friends. Yeah, Friends is without a doubt the, the show that I know way too much about. Um, so much so that I uh, I pointed out that the twins in Us... You saw, you saw Us, right? No. Oh, well, there there's a set of twins in Us, um, the Friends' daughter, like the, the one family's daughter's. And those twins, the actresses that play the twins, they are twins in real life, obviously. They were Emma, Rachel's daughter, on Friends. Um, like, you know, just they rotated out the twins based on, like, who was fussy or whatever. And I was very excited when I realized that. I was like, oh, my God, Friends. Um, so, yeah, uh, we talk, Matt and I talked about that on Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast uh, because the month of March we reviewed Us and we reviewed Five Feet Apart and Cole Sprouse whose twin brother is Dylan Sprouse, they were Ross's other child at the beginning of Friends. They were uh, Ben when he was like six or seven. Uh, one of my, one of a, a good episode, Rachel um, teaches Ben how to do pranks and it's pretty funny. So yeah, as I said, I know way too much about Friends. Anyways, uh, <laughs> any, uh, let, you want to get into what we've been watching or you got anything else you want to mention? Um, I'm really excited that Saturday is record store day and thank oh. you for recording early so I could go to the, like they, every year they do like a right the Friday night before a, like a pre-listening party and then they like raffle off lots of prizes and I always hope to win one of the first five spots in line because then I don't have to wake up at 4am or be outside in line for hours and I'm more guaranteed to get what I want. Um, so I'm excited about that this weekend and then they're doing a screening of Empire Records, but it's... Oh. At a brewery, and I feel like there are going to be way too many people there, so I'll probably just watch it at home but in that's spirits. Cool. It is cool, and what's really cool is they've they like always tweet and share on Facebook and Instagram. Um, they're like different stills from different movies and record stores, and they share Empire Records a lot. And Johnny Whitworth has liked one of their posts before, oh, nice. and I was like. Oh my God! Is is he gonna come to the screening? 
Can we get Mark, please, with a C? <laughs> like, that would be really I cool. I would just die. But uh, um, I can talk about what I've been watching. Well, yeah, well, um, on that note, though, with Empire Records, it was just recently Rex Manning Day, right? Like, yeah, know, Monday yeah, or something? Yeah, the 8th, I think. Yeah, or, or no, I guess, yeah, that was Monday. I was right, it was Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, I was excited because one of my students uh, came up and was like, he, I guess he knew I liked Empire Records. Maybe I mentioned it or whatever, but he came and was like, it's Rex Manning Day. And I was like, I, I'm surprised you know that. <laughs> like, That's not something that I expect my students to usually know. That's a movie that I really like, but hard to argue it being like teachable. Generational. Um, oh, yes. And, and it's very generational. But yeah, it, you know, it's it's a movie I love, but it definitely has its flaws and very archetypal. I, I saw someone like just talking mad crap about it and i'm like i'm sorry you hate life like even if something isn't grade a cinema it can still be a good time and that oh, is yeah. one that i can definitely rewatch and just have fun with it you know sure and there are characters i, I love lucas's story and then yes. um, i love warren oh my god so much Freaking warren the the chase with scene with warren Houston. is one of my favorite things <laughs> In fact, I have taught that chase scene. Um, they yeah. usually uh, that's a project that's kind of like a fallback is like doing a chase scene, and I use that as an example because I love it. It's a foot chase. You don't always get a lot of foot chases in movies. A lot of times it's car chases or they're like uber violent. There's guns and they're shooting. That one's so you know timid because he's just stalking the shoplifter and there's no weapons and he does hit him with a door. But I mean that's still like considering what other chase sequences are like. It's one I, I enjoy going back to, and it's a cool way of kind of like side introducing them to empire records you know it's like here you go um but uh yeah i think that's a good place to go into uh what you've been watching so Corey, since the last time we recorded which was exactly a week ago what have you seen you know i went for a while a year or two it was one of my favorite movies and i've just been thinking about it a lot and I tried to rewatch it, and I messaged you about it, but I couldn't get through it. But um, I tried rewatching American Beauty. It's just uh-huh. a million times creepier now. Yeah, because of the whole spacey with, thing. Yeah, and the underage thing. Yeah. Um, still love West Bentley. Uh, so I couldn't get through that. I think I got like forty-five minutes. But I forgot all the people that are in that movie. Yeah, it's like, a big cast. It's nuts. Um. Is it Scott? Ba- is it Bla- Bacula? Uh, Bacula, I think. Yeah, from like Quantum Leap, and um, um, he's in a lot of other stuff. But I know him from Quantum Leap. That's the show that I loved him in. Love Quantum Leap. Um, yeah. So I forgot he was in it. Just everybody's in that movie. Um, and then I watched part two of Sabrina. Uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Mm. I like that show. I don't even care what anybody thinks. My daughter loves and- that show. It's, I love it so much, and I really like Karen and Chip, Chipka. I hope that I'm saying her nice name correctly, because that's a now, Let me ask name. you a question, because she still has okay. never seen The Craft, and okay. I think she'll love it. Based on Sabrina, do you think, like, there's, does it have anything, like, tonally in, in check with, uh, with, like, The Craft? Because I hear Sabrina's darker, like, she's told me some of the stuff about it, like, it's much, it, it's not, uh, what's her name, Melissa Joan Hart's, uh, no. <laughs> Sabrina. Um, I think that like i mean it's witchcraft and yeah hell on earth and the dark lord and things like that um i think that tonally yes i i mean i love the craft because you know my age when it came out i feel like she would probably like it but i sabrina is way better it's way better done but i mean okay wow 
Well, it's like it. I mean, it has at least what maybe like twenty years on it, and I just feel like better effects. I I think oh, the yeah. story is better written. Um, oh, okay, wow. I, okay. Yeah, I I think that if most people would not just associate it with like Sabrina the Teenage Witch, well, it's also connected um, to Riverdale, isn't it? Like a loose spinoff or something. I well, I think so. It is a, an Archie's comic. Yeah. But I like I used to read the Jughead and Archie comics when I was a kid, but I never read any of the Sabrina ones that I can remember. So I don't know how it is totally compared to those. But I really like the show, and it dropped on the fifth, so I watched all ten episodes. It, I just really like it. Um, and then I went to see Pet Cemetery last night. Ah. What did you think? I also um, saw this. Well, I'm glad that it was $5 Tuesday when we, because <laughs> my theater has where you can reserve your seats in all of the rooms in all the theaters now, which is rad because it used to just be your IMAX screen. Okay, yeah. So when I got our tickets in the back row, because duh, that's the best place to sit, we were the only ones and we were in the middle. And I don't know about you. Actually, I feel like you're the same as me. If you saw people with those seats, wouldn't you, like, at least be a few seats away from them? That's how I do it. Yes, that's exactly how I do it. No. There were people, I mean, there was supposed to be someone sitting right by my friend, but they scooted down a seat, but there was someone sitting right beside me. I, like, I don't know. I just felt very claustrophobic. I know. We learned our lesson. Like, and there were so many seats. Like, so many seats. So I don't know why everyone felt the need to be in the back row. (sighs) But um, See, I do you know, a couple of things. Like one, I almost always sit on an aisle, even though I prefer a middle seat. I hate um, the aisle, the lights that but are on I, the aisle. Like I know some, and some like the IMAX theater that we have local, <laughs> they have these really bright blue lights like uh, down the aisles that are actually distracting during the movie. But I still like it. It lessens the chance of sitting next to someone you don't know. Um, and then two, uh, I don't like walking over people. So if like you sit in the middle at one of those theaters and then people um fill in you now if you have to go to the bathroom it becomes awkward and uncomfortable i'd rather them walk past me than me walk past them um but again those are just my preferences for those types of theaters but um so the experience of the theater itself was not great what about the movie i mean it's so funny because i feel like this is such a polarizing movie and i don't really know why i wonder if everyone that hates this movie watched the first one because there is like literal like just cheese in that movie it like i like it and it's creepy but you can't like watch it now and not and i feel like that happens a lot to stephen king adaptations and also i've read quite a few of his books and i just feel like sometimes he just takes the easy way out in oh. some of his books and i'm just like please but um you know i so i don't know why people like hate it i hope they're not just comparing it to that movie because it's not the best movie ever you know what i mean um yeah i rewatched it a few months ago and i was even like okay some of this acting just is not good uh but my friend and i did laugh last night during the movie and i'm pretty sure that people on either side of us thought we were nuts but i couldn't help it is it is it a character screaming while doing something horrific is that no. what you laughed at oh because i laughed at that scene because i i still it think... was a part of dialogue oh well, there's some definitely bad dialogue in the movie well i don't even feel like this is a spoiler because it's what happens in the first one and if you know anything about it if you've seen the trailers you know it's when For real the kid 
comes back and it's like the dialogue right after that when they're talking to their dad and I'm just like no and there was like some twitchy eye stuff and I just couldn't I just couldn't I just laughed but I didn't hate it I didn't hate it either I I still I still don't get the Jason Clark getting so much work Um, he talked weird like half of the dialogue like his enunciation or whatever it was weird I, I I don't I don't see why he keeps getting to like lead roles. Like I put him as a character actor, sure. Like I thought he was fine in First Man, where he's only in a few scenes. He has a couple of big moments, um, you know. But like as the lead, I just I don't like him as a lead. I don't I don't root for him. And I, in this movie, maybe I'm not supposed to, but I definitely don't feel like emotionally connected to him in anything I've seen him in. Um, if like the only movie that I know I really like that he's the lead in is. Uh, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but that's because Caesar's the lead. Like he's a he's the co guy, he's the supporting guy. Caesar's the main character in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and that's who I like. Give a crap about the humans in that movie, you know? So, um, oh, Caesar. But I, I'll get to a little bit. My t- I, I don't have much to add to Pet Cemetery. I'm not gonna like get into depth or anything, but um, I is that is that the end? Yeah. So, um, since we recorded, I saw Shazam. Um, I like Shazam a lot. Uh, it was exactly what I was hoping for. There is some cheesy stuff in it. Um, I, I think it, it doesn't go, it has opportunities that it doesn't take. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Um, but it, it does feel like there's some misses that could have escalated it to a phenomenal movie where I just think it's a really fun solid comic book movie it's it's definitely one of the better dc films i think it's leaps and bounds better than aquaman like i don't know what people saw in aquaman um shazam is way more fun and is at least like a sensible plot like and the acting is better because like jason momoa is just basically being jason momoa where like zachary levi is having to be like a 14 it's basically big with superpowers like if you like big it's that kind of movie because you have a kid who's now an adult suddenly and the only difference is he has superpowers which is even cooler than just being an adult and he's not just any kid he's a foster kid who's kind of dejected by the society uh, towards society and you know it's him like learning to kind of find his place in the world so there's a coming of age element i enjoyed it um what i i don't know if you know this or not Corey, uh because i know you're not super interested in the superhero movies but the director of shazam is david f sandberg who uh, he wrote the short for Lights Out and directed Lights Out. Then he directed the feature film Lights Out. And then he did Annabelle Creation um, in the James Wan universe. Mm. So I do think maybe James Wan got him this job because Wan directed Aquaman. But of the two films, in my opinion, Shazam is much stronger. Um, I I showed my class. Oh, go ahead. Did you want to comment on Shazam? Uh, Well, kind of. So, I wish that they would stop making movies in the Conjuring universe. Oh, yeah. Like, the first Conjuring was phenomenal. I rewatch it enough. Like, there, it has the best atmosphere of any of the movie. Like, it... Oh, Jesus. It's probably, like, one of my top ten, like, scary movies. Maybe top five. But, um... You know, they just keep making these movies, and I love the Warrens. I love Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson, and I'm gonna watch them, even when they don't look that good. Well, you know, there's <laughs> and two. I watch the there's two NFL movies coming creation, out this coming year. Home and and Conjuring Three, right? No. Oh, the, tell one, me. One comes out next week. In fact, 
Yeah, isn't that Annabelle coming nope, home? That's the summer. And I think that's August. Uh, La Lorena, that the <gasps> Spanish that's... tale that's in the Conjuring <laughs> universe. I did not know that. Yep. I did not know that. And also, I want to ask you about that movie. When we went to Halloween Horror Nights a few years ago, yep. there was a house for that, right? Unrelated well, to the movie. It's, it's a old uh, wise tale. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I believe issue number one of the New 52 Batwoman actually covers the myth as well. If I'm wrong, it may not be number one, but it's definitely in the New 52, the first ten issues of Batwoman. That is a story arc in the in the comic. That was the first time I became aware of it. Then the Halloween Horror Nights house, which was one of the better houses that year, and it was not very busy because it wasn't a big property. Um, and then uh, now this movie. Now, um, Big Tuna saw this movie, uh, La Lorena, at South by. Did oh. not like it. Um, and it does not look good to me in the trailer. But uh, I believe it's somehow tied in with Annabelle. Uh, and then I... Coming Home is coming up in a few months. Didn't he um, produce it? I'm pretty sure that James Wan produced it. Yes, well, it's, it. it's part of the Conjuring universe. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I didn't realize that. I didn't either until Big Tuna told me, and then it's been confirmed from other sources, anyways. But Big Tuna saw it, so I mean, he knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there was the Nun last year. Um, that was not good. Uh, Annabelle coming home does have Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga in it, though. Um, so it will at least have them because the Warrens have not been in the last couple. Uh, there was a weird, uh, Vera Farmiga's sister was in The Nun, but it's not supposed to have anything to do with the Warrens. It's just a weird, well, probably not a weird coincidence, but just a coincidence that they're sisters in real life. They have no relation in the films. I was really hoping that was going to go somewhere, and then it just didn't. And they even, like, I've read articles where Juan's like, no, 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 that has nothing, that's, we just cast her because she was the best for the role. Like, that's, that's not the right role, though. Like, if you cast... A, a sibling to your lead actor in the universe it feels like there needs to be a reason anyways i don't want to get it we're we not neither of us saw any of these movies we're just talking about them because of uh well i saw all the trailers Sandy. last night yes they are all in front of pet cemetery <laughs> i was like holy heck which and they are making, I went with last... oh so I was oh. Just, they are making conjuring three I, I just don't think it's going to be this year okay because i saw like you know pictures or like headlines or something but i didn't read into it so I could be. It could be later this year, but I, I have not. It's definitely not in the summer because I've been prepping the summer uh, movie l- information for the top five uh, show that we're going to be recording here soon. Um, and so I know it's coming out in the summer, and it is not in the summer, but Annabelle is. Um, anyways, I showed my students in my film two class take shelter uh, and introduced them to Jeff Nichols, which um, I I was already a fan of Nichols, but listening to some of his talks, like his different, he's got a lot of interviews and stuff on YouTube. I've really grown to appreciate him and his thoughts on filmmaking. Um, and then I showed my uh, film one class and my film three honors class that happens to be a hybrid um, Sing Street because we're studying musicals. Um, so I rewatched Sing Street and Take Shelter the, last week. Um, I saw Pet Cemetery uh, over the weekend. I was not thrilled. Um, I watched Eye for an Eye. And then today um, we had a uh, early release day. And when we do that, sometimes we have normal class periods, but uh, every once in a while we'll do um, lab days where we just get some of our students and other students go to like these big kind of like over general sessions with like where they do like intensive uh, references or research or refreshers on like upcoming tests and stuff. So I had my film two kids, uh, the, the seven who came to school today, and um, I showed uh, Inside Lulin Davis because the movies that we're I studying. I just rewatched are, that. Oh, I love that movie so much. Um, and actually so did the group that was there though. But uh, we're studying kind of like 
the point is having a movie that has something to say, uh, some kind of commentary, social point of view that is not necessarily on the nose, although it can be on the nose, but like that's why I take shelter. It's about fear and how we deal with fear and how anxiety can make us feel like we can't, um, you know, we can't break away. Or it also deals with mental health, although there is some ambiguity as to what Michael Shannon's character is going through. And Inside Luna Davis, I thought it was a, a really good movie that deals with a lot of, you know, there's a lot of ways to interpret what he's going through. It's that idea of failure and success and um, the how life is cyclical. And so I went with that also because of the Coens. I am a big fan and a lot of them have not been exposed to the Coens. So it was an opportunity to kind of bring that out. So I ended up showing that today. And that's, I've missed a few days of movie watching. Um, it's just been a busy week. Uh, it was my daughter's birthday on Sunday. And then I was going to watch something last night. Like, I really want to watch the new Brie Larson movie on Netflix called Unicorn Store. Um, oh, yeah. I've heard good things from some people. I've heard bad things from other people. But I, it feels like it's up my alley. But um, my wife was kind of uh, desperate um, to go to Michael's. And uh, <laughs> she kind of, like, I, I felt like I had she the option to not take her. Um, but I, I felt like it was it would not be the right move. So I decided, you know, we're going to go. We went to Michael's and we went to Target and uh, didn't really get anything. But um, I do want to briefly uh, kind of sidetrack for just a second. Last week when we were recording about this uh, time in the podcast, uh, my wife interrupted our recording to tell me that one of my former students, um, who I've talked about a few times actually, uh, Jerry Hall, um, he's on Instagram at JR Hall of Horror, uh, well, his account's still there, um, had passed away. And uh, he had uh, cystic fibrosis. Um, and it was uh, it was one of the, the, you know, it's one of those moments you can't really anticipate. Uh, I knew he was, uh, his lungs were failing him, and I knew it was a possibility, but he was fighting. And he was such an optimistic and um, kind-hearted individual that I never expected him to truly be gone. Um, so the realization of it has been challenging um he he graduated a few years ago or at least uh finished school a couple years ago and yet um you know i still my seniors in my film three honors class knew him um and uh, uh several other students were still familiar with him and so um you know the school there's several people are sad at the school and it's been a thing um you know i, I was very close with him still in fact if you go to like my instagram my my logo of the animated version of me sitting in a recliner he did for me um he did a lot of stuff to support like he supported everybody he supported other cosplayers um he supported uh me and other filmmakers um he acted in, in one of my other film students movies recently um who was one of his best friends they met in my class and i happened to be close with that whole group um so it's, it's it was shocking to hear um I, I don't think you can tell in the podcast i was able to hold it together um as the uh the old saying goes the show must go on and i felt an obligation to make sure um i i did what i i needed to do um and i also know that i know jerry well enough that he would expect that of me he wouldn't expect me to cancel something for his sake because uh, that's the type of kid he was um but i bring all this up uh he had cystic fibrosis as i said the movie five feet apart that came out last month with uh Haley lou richardson and cole's uh i'm sorry yeah cole sprouse um deals with kids with cystic fibrosis uh, movie that made me cry and in my review for that film i mentioned jerry several times um because that he was the first person that i've ever known to have cf so it was my kind of introduction to a disease that i knew nothing about before jerry 
I knew a lot about while I had time with him and I will know more about as I am doing uh, things that I can to honor his legacy. Um, he was such a great kid and his mom told everyone uh, that he had told her his biggest fear was to be forgotten. Um, so uh, if you don't know what CF is, I do advise you to check out CFF.org. That's the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Um, it was a charity that uh, Jerry worked very close with. Um, my school is going to be uh, doing some fundraisers to raise money for the CFF. Um, and I encourage anyone uh, who wants to donate to reach out to CFF.org and do the same. Um, sorry to, to sidetrack the podcast there oh. for you, but uh, I felt like, you know, at the very least I mentioned, I, did, I wasn't ready to do that last week. Um, I've had a week to kind of compose myself. But um, in that idea of not forgetting Jerry, if you want to follow him on Instagram, again, it's JR Hall of Horror. Um, and obviously he won't be adding any new posts, but uh, he's got tons and tons and tons of pictures. You can kind of familiarize yourself with his story um, as he was very candid about his battle. Um, and also, like, he did some amazing cosplay. One of my favorites, which was also his creepiest, was uh, Slappy the Dummy from the Goosebumps books. Oh! Um, yeah, he, he, his his cosplay of that is pretty creepy. Um, I, I mean, to me, the, the dummies in movies are always fairly creepy anyways, whether we're talking about the Goosebumps, but also James Wan's movie Dead Silence. Super oh, creepy. I love that movie. Um, which we did an episode on a few, uh, I think two years ago. Um, but uh, so just, you know, um, he... he I, I'm not going to let him be forgotten uh, wh for whatever I can do to help. Um, we're doing some stuff at the school in his name. Um, I'm hoping to make this uh, CFF fundraiser um, an annual thing that we'll call, you know, the Jerry Hall uh, against CFF kind of thing. Or against CF, not against the foundation. Against the, the disease. Um, but uh, he loved movies. Um, he was a huge fan of Friday the 13th. He loved Jason. Uh, had tons of different versions of Jason. His truck was made out to be like a Jason theme truck had camp crystal lake uh something on it like i mean uh he loved this type of stuff and um he supported everyone who was into this um so uh i just never forget him amazing kid anyone who i've ever talked to who've met jerry was impacted by him because he just brought so much enthusiasm and kindness into the world it, it is a shame that he died so young um but he did fight and i know he lived his life uh he didn't let the disorder stop him from living his life. So at least uh, I feel like he he lived a lot in a short time. But that said, Corey, you picked Eye for an Eye for our Sally Field Month. And let's get into the stats. Now, the stat that must be addressed first and foremost is its Rotten Tomato score. Because I'm, oh, I'm wondering, Corey, did you... <laughs> Did you happen to look? In fact, I almost forgot. Before I say what Eye for an Eyes is, uh, there's a new movie coming out on this week called Hellboy. That stars David Harbour um, and uh, some other big names. Mila jo jo Djokovic, I always screw up her name. Um, Ian McShane, Sasha Lane, um, Daniel Day Kim. It, it, it Right now, the Rotten Tomatoes score with 39 critics is sitting at a 10%. <laughs> um, I will be Can I... Oh, go Can ahead. I be completely honest with you? I don't. When we're picking movies for movie club, I mean, it. There are a number of. I look at a number of factors, mm -hmm. but I never look at like the critic ratings or yeah, really any ratings. I, I picked this one because um, I like Kiefer Sutherland. 
Um, yeah. And it was easily accessible for both of us because we have True. had to buy so many, so many movies lately. This the last two months especially. Yeah, we really yeah. We picked uh, harder topics to uh, get a hold Which of. Which kind of kills me because these are both renowned, you know, actors. So. And even for the one that we watched last week, I can't believe that it's so hard to get a hold of that you can't even get yeah. it digitally. So I'm, so that was one of my, those were some of my factors. Got it. Do you know what the Rotten Tomato score is for Eye for Night? Did you just say ten percent? No, that was Hellboy. Hellboy. Oh, oh. Hellboy has ten percent. Oh, okay. Let me. I'm gonna go with thirteen okay. percent. But I think you're gonna say eight. It is exactly eight. Wow. Why is it really? It's eight. It's less than Hellboy. And <laughs> yes. 37 critics. It has an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, which, keep in mind, listeners, I'm not saying Rotten Tomatoes is a be-all, end-all of movie quality, but it is usually a telling sign when it's that low that something is wrong. Um, so, the plot summary for this movie, which I was... Can you not read the IMDb one? Could you at least read the one from Prime? <laughs> What's the IMDb one's not as bad. It's the letterbox one that has the kangaroo court. This okay, one, perfect. IMDb God. just says, When the courts fail to keep behind bars the man who raped and murdered her daughter, a woman seeks her own form of justice. Now, I don't know why they wrote it in the passive voice, because it should have been written, A woman seeks her, her own form of justice after the courts fail to keep uh, behind bars the man who raped and murdered. Even that, the wording of that is horrible. Whoever wrote it needs to rethink themselves. Still better than kangaroo court. True. So the director is John Sheschlinger. And that's the shocking thing, is this guy did Midnight Cowboy, which is an amazing film. Um, but he also directed Marathon Man, which I've not seen, but I want to see. Uh, his top four on IMDb also includes Darling and Yanks. I'm not familiar with either one of those. But this movie um, was shocking to me, just with its premise. Uh, Sarah Sally Field, Kiefer Sutherland, Ed Harris, um, Olivia Burnett, uh, Alexandra Kyle, who is the younger daughter, who is now... Um, you know, all grown up. Joe Mantegna, who I could not place for the longest time. I'm watching the movie going, I know him. I know him. And I could, like, it wasn't his face. It was his voice. And I was, I had to finally look. And he's uh, the radio DJ in the movie Airheads with Brendan Fraser, Alan, um, Adam Sandler, and Steve Buscemi, which I love that movie because it's stupid comedy rock and roll. Um, and so I was like, oh, my God. So the rest of the movie, I couldn't get past him being the DJ. Um, <laughs> Beverly D'Angelo is barely in it, but she's in it. Um Sherilyn Woodard has a uh, important part, but small. Philip Baker Hall, who we got to see in some PTA movies because he's a regular PTA guy. Um, he was in Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and uh, the lead in Hard um, Hard Eight. Um, so three movies we've already done podcasts for. Uh, Keith David, who's in tons and tons of movies, awesome guy. I usually like him quite a bit, and I think he's fine in this. Same thing with uh, Phil Baker Hall. I think they're fine. Very small parts. This is definitely Sally Field's movie, and Kiefer Sutherland gets to be really, really big um what did you think about i for an eye Corey? i cried the whole time actually you cried like you were yeah sad? yeah um i there were quite a few factors that just kept like making me mad and sad yeah um and i so olivia burnett she, I've talked about this show before. I need to rewatch it. It's been a long time. I used to watch it in middle school, but um, she was the lead actress in the Torkelsons. I, it was, there were like things in this movie that were a lot more graphic and shocking than I was expecting, actually. Yeah. Um, 
I sometimes that. I did. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I mean, it's it's an exploitation film in a lot of ways, which I was surprised that Sally Field would do in 1996. Keep in mind, she's already won two Oscars at the point of doing this movie. Um, but it had been a while. Um, but, you know, keep going. I um, did feel like um, that it felt like a made-for-TV movie at some point. Uh, I literally call at, this an effing lifetime movie in my notes. <laughs> like, at, except for, like, those graphic parts and yeah. the stellar cast. Like, I mean, I feel like this is a really, this is a good cast, just Sally Field and Kiefer Sutherland, for, like, the way that the movie felt. Um, And I'm not, I can't even, like, really put my finger on it, because I don't feel like it's, like, low budget, but it just still has that, I, I mean, I hope it wasn't a made-for-TV movie, because we usually try not to choose those. No, it had um, a theatrical run. Okay. And actually, um, do you know what, are you familiar with CinemaScore? Mm, so I feel like I've heard of it, but... Certain theaters um, across the country, when a movie plays, they have, like, uh, surveyors outside. They they, mm. they look to get kind of the audience poll. The audience poll gave it an A- minus on an, a scale of F to A+, plus, um, which is insane when you look at the Rotten Tomato score of an 8. Like, there's usually a discrepancy between audience and critic, but that's mm-hmm. pretty massive. Um, and it, it sounds like that's what's going to happen on this episode. Think of Death Wish, which is a horrible exploitation film, the original, and a horrible Eli Roth film from last year. But Death, Death Wish is a, a man's wife and daughter are raped and murdered, and he goes on a revenge-killing spree. It is exploitation at its biggest, especially because the original Death Wish has a very graphic rape sequence. But the modern one, they, they tone down the visuals. You don't see the rape. Uh, you know it happens, but you don't see it. And he goes on a very, you know, crazy murdering spree, like vigilantism, which is what this movie is essentially advocating and also condemning. But none of which it is, to me... Um, one, the director has no sense of tone in this movie. There are weird comedic elements built into otherwise dramatic sequences. Now, I won't get into it yet because we don't do spoilers until we say so, uh, which I meant, I forgot to mention that. Usually I say that before we get into the review. Um, but, uh, I will in spoilers point out some major tonal issues for me, why I think the movie is cheesy and why it feels like a lifetime movie. Um, I, I thought, uh, honestly, Kiefer Sutherland's character feels like a caricature. Um, it is so unbelievably, like, fictional, and I, I get the feeling of injustice. to make him too fast, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's just, he is, like, he doesn't even, like, put on a facade in the courtroom. He's, like, so content with being this very blatant villain who just feels like he's going to get away. He feels like a comic book character, in a movie that's supposed to be grounded in dramatic, um, or or if it doesn't want to be that, if it wants to be Death Wish for for a woman like character, then go for it. But they don't. They 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 tease it. They mess with it. They beat around it. Um, but it's ultimately not. Uh, there are some and there's just some bad filmmaking things. Um, one in particular. Uh, it's a it's a very tense sequence where um, Kiefer Sutherland's character is with Megan in the playhouse at the school it is tense because we know he's an evil villain there's no question for the audience we know he's guilty even though that's another filmmaking issue i'm going to bring up um but i'm going to finish this thought first uh he's sitting with megan and we keep cutting well one megan walks into the playhouse with the little boy and then the little boy gets yanked out of the playhouse so hard 
it's like comedic like he's ripped out of that playhouse and then like you don't know why yet it and it cuts away i think it cuts to sally field somewhere completely different and then comes back and we find out that it, it was him it's doob which is also a horrible name by the way doob d-o-o-b is his last name horrible couldn't have come up with something better but he's sitting in there and we're like oh my god this is horrible and we cut to the rest of the playground we're like where's the adults and you can't see inside the playhouse so you can't blame the teacher for not knowing he's there you can for him getting that far in the first place but from here okay fine it's happened we then finally see the little boy who's okay and is just hanging out on the jungle gym looking at the playhouse looking uncomfortable and then the teacher says okay everybody come in the the amount of time it takes for the kids to run into the film is comedic. I don't know if you noticed this, but to run into the film, they're running towards the the teacher. It cuts mm. to the teacher. We see the little boy trying to talk to her, but she's ignoring him. Cuts back to the playhouse. There are still kids running from nowhere. Like I don't know where they keep coming from. It's like a clown car. There are way too many. Like the playground should be empty already, and it is not. And it's not like we're seeing them progressing. They're back to where they started, meaning it's just reused footage. Horrible filmmaking. Um, I didn't even notice that. Let's go back a ways cuz here's where the biggest comedic element is in the movie. During the rape say. sequence. Oh. Oh, the rape sequence alone is horrible. One he kills her with an ice statue. Yeah. Which is so stupid. One, because the eye statue was a symbol of how upper class they were. Because in the scene before, they're talking about it. She's like, an eye statue for a nine-year-old? And she's like, well, you know. And it's just like, wow. These kids expect that. Yeah. I have, like, right away, I'm like, I have no connection to this high-class world these people live in. But then that it becomes the murder weapon is ridiculous. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's awful that he raped and killed her. Um, what's more awful, she's on the phone with her mom when it happens. Now, I get why you don't want to get off the phone, but I also think, like, if you're weighing your options, her solution is getting out of the car, running around, screaming. In 1996, mind you, when most people would not have cell phones, do you have a phone, right? Screaming to every car, scaring people. And again, it's like, I understand you want to be on the phone, but realistically being on the phone will not save your daughter where hanging up calling 911 could potentially at least catch the guy you're not gonna save her by hearing it happen um nor are you going to offer her moral support you know what i'm saying there's no benefit for staying mm -hmm. on the phone other than horrible filmmaking which this is my favorite part Corey. i don't know if you saw this she leaves her door open of her car that's stuck in traffic in la and the balloons for her daughter's birthday start pouring out of the car. <laughs> yes. There are like <sighs> a billion balloons in her fucking sedan. I'm sorry. I don't usually cuss like you that. You never. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the last time I heard you say that word. I just could not believe what I was watching. I was sitting there with my hands. I'm like, we're cross-cutting between a rape sequence and a clown car full of balloons that are pouring out into the sky. I'm just like, what was he thinking? What? motivation and then she trips and falls it's supposed to be like she's spazzing but it doesn't feel that way it feels like a joke and that is where this movie is so bad because that every scene that has any weight is wrecked by crap like that it's like what are you doing am i supposed to find it amusing because i don't i find this horrible i find it literally aggravating like you've never made a movie and then i look at his filmography and he made midnight cowboy and i'm just like how is this the same guy granted it's 20 years later but 
my god, it is it is totally one of the most inconsistent films that I've ever seen. And that to me is what makes it look like a TV movie. Also, the costuming and the the lighting also have a very TV feel. It's very like grainy and like it is. Like gray almost. Well, and it's super like the the for a movie like this, usually you have a lot of low lighting. You know, you have a lot of dark scenes. Every scene is like uber lit. Like you're in just fluorescent light. You're in bright sunshine. It's like this is a dark movie. Our villain is always shot at a low shot, which makes sense. He's menacing. We want to have him as this menacing figure, but he's always like perfectly lit. He's like in the brightest light ever. Always his house, his apartment is well lit. Like it's like where's the shady underlying like noir vibe that we should be getting here? And it just it just feels like a cheap like student film who's like hey, I want to have uh you know like a a callback to Death Wish from the eighties, and and yet not have the violence uh that you know that the cathartic violence that we're supposed to get from the horrific experience, uh when it finally does come we'll have to wait and get to in spoilers so with that i felt like we had already gotten to spoilers i know well everything i said is i've read in uh reviews and plot descriptions i read uh roger ebert gave this film a one star um i read right before we recorded and he ripped it up pretty hard and early without i would say without truly spoiling anything but uh why don't we move fully into spoilers Corey? guys from here on out we are going to talk about this movie in great detail if you want to check it out first you can stream it on prime but you've been warned and you've been warned not to stream it on Prime. Um, <laughs> I was mad at you while watching this, but I, I do think I... that this this story has been flipped from the other perspective where a man's daughter is raped or a man's wife is raped, and that's been done a lot in the 80s and 70s, and it was very popular. I think I think Death Wish is a bad movie. I don't think anyone who likes it is going to argue that it's a well-made movie. Maybe they understand why people root for Charles Bronson or they like the uber-violence or whatever, Um I don't think anyone's rooting for Eli Roth's movie. That movie's trash. But um, I like Sally Field. I, I like a, I like a vigilante story. I'm a, Batman is my hero. I love the Punisher. Like you know, I can get behind that type of story all day if it's done right. And this movie, I I did feel like so much of it was forced. Like when they show him at his apartment and she's following him. Yeah, and stalking. like, and just like a—I don't even think it was a two-minute sequence. They show him coming out of his apartment. Lady on the street asks for a cigarette. He says no, or flips the cigarette to the street, or something, and she yells at him. Yeah. And then a few minutes later, he like pours a hot coffee on a dog. He kicks the trash can, <laughs> and then he slides under yeah. like a cut fence. Like it was just too much, too fast, too soon. And like you were saying in the. That, it's such a cartoon. Like, that whole sequence so, sounds like a cartoon. And it just, like, pissed me off. Like, I didn't even... It was it was cheesy that she was killed by the ice statue. But, like, from... There would... Uh, but he did leave DNA evidence. Well, but let's talk and, about that for a minute. They filmed that sequence. I, I'm glad they don't show, like... Especially because she's 17. I'm glad it's not it was, more graphic pretty bad like oh. i just really wasn't expecting either of those scenes but my thing is my issue with with the filmmaking is why do they choose to not show his face when there's never a mystery about who it was from that point on because had we seen his face we wouldn't have known who he was yet and the rest of the film there's no there's no like suspects we're not supposed to think they got the wrong guy because had they played it that way like he goes to trial and this actually he's claiming he's innocent but from the second we meet him 
he's not even trying to act like he's innocent. He's just like, Haha, I'm getting away with this. And so why film it where we don't see him? We, I, it, it makes, it makes no sense because it sets up this idea that may, like for a second, for like a split second, when I realized Ed Harris was her stepfather, I thought he might be the killer because Ed Harris is notoriously a villain in every movie that he's in. Like he's almost always the bad guy. And at least in the movies that I have seen with Ed Harris, like in Truman show and, um, I'm going to forget yeah. uh, the rock. And he's like, he's almost always a villainous figure. So for a second, when they pointed out that when we hadn't seen Keith Sutherland yet and they pointed, or maybe we had, but they pointed out he was a stepfather. I'm like, is there going to be some weird twist where he's the rapist? Cause that'll really b- bug me. But they quickly made me go, no, no, there's no doubt. Kiefer Sutherland, because of the cartoon sequence you just described, there's no doubt. He's the villain. He's definitely well, the killer. And like, I felt like too, with, her daughter they tried too hard with that like that stutter oh yeah. you know what i mean like she's like it's she even stutters really bad a couple times like there's nothing believable at all about it and you just know that it's gonna come back and then yeah there every time that he like comes in contact with her mom he does that and even in the courtroom right after he's like oh yeah and how the hell do you take over a case and not know that you're supposed to keep 25 percent of the dna evidence well, for the freaking defense and that's the thing this movie tries to do so much and like with that switch with the, the prosecutor we never even met the first prosecutor so like them just like well what happened to the other guy it's like oh my god this movie you're doing too many things that this is what we're supposed to you know buy into because in that way it sounds like they might be commenting on the the flaws of the system but they never really go deep into it it's just superficial commentary on the system's flawed it doesn't sound like he did any real research onto the flaws or anything like that um and then again we have this caricature of a rapist who is awful he's horrible but he's too horrible he's so fictional nothing about it is okay and even like that he teaches the little girl tough titty said the kitty but the milk's still good it's like such a disturbing, horrible thing. Um, and I do. And then she says that back to her dad. I think later. Yeah, on, and, he, and he asks how you know, and that's when she she learns about the, um, you know, the 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 meeting. Um, let's get to the end for a second, because that's where I think it really screws up. I was impressed with the the entrapment she pulls on him, where she goes to his apartment and trashes it and leaves the hat, knowing he'd seen the hat. He comes to get her. She's waiting for him. Of course, she doesn't do a good job at first. He, They struggle. She falls down the steps. She wings him first, and then she shoots him like four times in the chest. Cathartic potential ending, right? But they wreck it because what happens after he gets shot, Corey? He mm. falls on top of her. Oh. And, and then it's framed in this weird kind of comedic look because we're looking down on her, and we see just her eyes because his, his shoulder's covering her mouth. And she looks... She doesn't look like, oh my god, this guy almost killed me and I killed him and there's a dead body on top of me. It's almost this like comedic like, uh-oh, now what? And she has to like wiggle her way free and it's like, oh my god, this guy is not getting the tone of this movie. That should have ended. He should have fallen back. You don't have him fall on her. That doesn't do anything for the movie. What does it do? Except for make this weird, awkward, kind of laughable moment at a scene when we shouldn't be laughing. Everything is messed up. This woman has got her revenge. End it right. Like, it's so inconsistently bad tonally that I, I'm just, I just can't fathom how you're making this movie going, you know what should happen? He should fall on top of her. And no one was like, dude, why? Like, because it'll be funny. Like, no, 
this isn't a time for laughing. This is a time where we get to breathe a sigh of relief because you've been building up this whole intense moment. They've been fighting. She has won. After all the injustice, we get that moment and then you rip it away with a joke. It's so bad. It's so unbelievably bad that, like, when you look at the cast, I'm like, did you read the script first? Like, what happened? So, yeah, I clearly did not like this movie. Uh, I can't believe you were mad at me when you were watching it. Like, I haven't watched bad I mean, movies that you've picked. It was, like, jokingly bad. Yeah, it was, yeah, but usually when I'm watching a movie that I pick that is bad, I'm thinking, oh, man, Corey's probably pissed at me. And so <laughs> this is my kind of point. Like, I'm watching it like, oh, my God, I don't know if I could make it through this movie. I just really didn't. I, I think that I can't even imagine being a parent at all anyways. Like, and then... I just, I don't know, like, and we know that criminals get away with things all the time. Yeah. And, and then, like, her husband seemed to be being insensitive about it and acting like she was crazy and... I mean, she was kind of crazy. Like, she was stalking the guy, putting her. Oh, I'm not talking about that part. I'm talking about your daughter was just freaking murdered, and you're going to act like your wife is crazy because she can't see your kid and there was a man walking closely behind her, and he called her neurotic? Like... I just felt like there were, and also, can I ask you, you're a man, (laughs) I know this is going to sound so sexist, but can men just sleep no matter what's going on in their lives? Because, like, right away the first night, he's just able to sleep, and, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that is a man thing or not. I think, uh, if I'm exhausted, I think I can sleep no matter what, but I, I... I don't know that I sleep the whole night through normally um, because Same. I am anxious and often overthinking things or overanalyzing things. Um, so uh, I would say in that I, I am very grateful uh, that I, I hope I never have to go through anything like that. I hope my daughter gets a nice safe life and is able to go with the, like the worst thing being like her gluten allergy, you know, like, which causes me anxiety and stress and that's nothing you know like that's like oh no what am i gonna feed my kid where she won't get sick afterwards but uh i i i I do think but again i think that's exactly the point every character in this movie feels so unbelievable like mantania who as the the detective at first i was like oh i like him i like him but then he has these huge moments where like when he goes and confronts doob and hits him in the nuts twice it's like Okay, and why wouldn't Doob hit him Get back? out of my town. Yeah, like, like Doob has proven that he's an evil guy. Like, he doesn't retaliate. Um, the whole setup with the, the other woman he rapes and kills is, is really bad. And then the blow-up exchange between the cop and, and, uh, and Sally Field is really fake. And, and, like, I get why she's mad, and I totally agree with her feelings of injustice. I think those are, like, the most valid, the only valid feeling a character shows and... in this movie. And Megan. Megan is the one highlight to me of this movie because she is a sweet little innocent kid and actually a pretty decent child actor because I believe her in every sequence. But the scene where she asks her mom if she's still mad at her because Julie died on her birthday broke me. That was the saddest part. I didn't cry, but I was like, dang. Oh, well, I I expect you said you cried. So that would be a moment where I totally would understand. I was too upset with the movie to truly be manipulated by that. But I was like, dang, that is, that's sad. Like, she thinks that her mom hates her because 
it happened on her birthday. And Sally Field's character, thank goodness, in that one moment, because she's not a good mom through most of the movie because of the whole, again, she's grieving or whatever. Okay, I wouldn't but say she's a bad mom. She makes some questionable choices. Uh, you're, you're right, though. Like, because when she, she flips out on the pillow, but once she realizes what happened, she's not as crazy about the pillow. But the little but girl I, was afraid of her and things like yeah, that. Yeah, well, I, I just can't imagine going through a loss like that. No, Everyone I, would I agree. probably steer clear of me, and I would probably be, like, way crazier than she could even imagine. Well, okay, speaking of crazy, we haven't yes. talked about the FBI subplot that is barely addressed. Oh, jeez. So, we get a shot of somebody listening to a phone call from the mechanic shop that we know is where these two guys who are at the the weird parents, like, meeting and yelling at each other a lot about their grieving situations... Um, and talking about their like the various injustices they've suffered because of the killers of their children. Um, and we find out that they're vigilantes. Apparently the FBI also knows that they're vigilantes and have been watching. And they, we only know that they kill one of the bad guys. So I don't know how the FBI became so aware of this so fast. Um, but because there's no we there's no implication that it's happened earlier. And yet the FBI's here. There's a, a a woman undercover who lies about her son being dead. It is cool because she is a lesbian, and this is 1996. And not only is she a lesbian, but apparently has married and has a son. Not something that is frequent. Although it kind of falls into a stereotype because she's like all athletic, and then she's also a cop. Um, you know, so a woman couldn't just be like a cop or an FBI agent unless she's also a lesbian. 96 kind of stereotype, but a little more progressive than this movie gives us any indication that it would be, right? Except when Sally Field learns that she's a lesbian, there's a definite look on her face of like, oh. But... Well, well I, I did like the way that she presented that about herself. I can't remember the exact verbiage, but I was like, smooth. Yeah, she was just like, um, my wife or something like that. Um... Because I think she said, well, what about your husband? She's like, well, my wife. And it was just like, oh, okay. But yeah, Sally Field's face is very like, I'm not okay with that, but I'm not going to say anything because you're nice to me. But um, that whole like subplot is so forced and so unnecessary because the only and reason it's there. She just shows up at her house. The only reason it's there is to stop Sally Field from initially going for the kill because it slows her down. Because it, it, she's like, you, we know that you're doing this. Don't kill him. You'll go to jail. You're like, what about your daughter? And so that makes Sally Field say, no, I'm not going to do it. But then Dube kills the second girl, and that's when she takes action. So, like, that, the FBI subplot is strictly there for that. Where, like, you already have the detective. Have him say it to her. Have him start following her earlier in the film when he realizes that she's stalking him. Because she straight tells him, right? So why doesn't he ever follow up with it? Because the only thing he does after she tells him about the uh, the Spanish woman is he goes and hits Dube in the nuts. And then that's it. That's where it ends with him until the second rape. Why don't why doesn't he follow Sally Field? Make sure she's not continuing to do it. I mean, I get he has real work to do, per se, but like he showed concern. He understood. He feels guilty, or at least he should, because he promised them justice and he didn't get it. Not his technical fault, but nonetheless... He promised something he didn't deliver. There would be some level of guilt that, and he, I feel like they try to make it sound like he was guilty. And his choice at the end to not say, I know he's cause he tells her, I know what happened here, but then tells his partner that it was a clear cut case of self-defense, whatever. I still think that while I'm all for the progressive side of things, why couldn't she have just been the detective then? 
You know, why have this weird FBI subplot that doesn't make any sense other than it's a Lifetime movie that somehow got a theatrical release? It's the only thing that makes Plot sense. twist. Plot twist. Lifetime. Yes. Breaks into the theater. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> no. I don't know. But, all right. I, I got nothing else. Um, do you have anything else you want to touch on? I feel like my arguments are fairly strong, especially oh, as a Oh, they definitely film. were. Um, you know, there's a lot of weak areas for the filmmaking. Um, so many choices that I just cannot fathom what the hell they were thinking. And, um, especially again, I, I do like Kiefer Sutherland, although I don't hold him in as high regard and he has done some crap movies. I know you love one of them. I, I don't like Lost Boys, but I love Lost Boys, but it's eighties camp and I can deal with that. Um, where like this movie is an 80s camp it's 90s and it's it's i feel like they were i i mean i don't know exactly where his career was at right at this point yeah. but he was still oh what was that ah oh, there's a movie that was originally a foreign film and then the director remade it in english and Kiefer sutherland is in it and it's a good movie and i can't even remember who plays his fiance but i felt like that movie was around this time so I'm just kind of surprised. And also Sally Field. Yes. But again, she had done, she's, she's kind of in a, in a funk in her career. She's at that age where actresses start getting, um, treated These differently. Films. Yeah. They get kicked to the curb because they are getting older. Um, which is a shame of course, that's not how it should be, but that is how Hollywood has notoriously been, especially against female actresses. Um, oh, sorry, that's actresses are traditionally female. Um, but, uh, it is it, at that point in her career, you know, she's not quite old enough to play like the Doris character that she'll play in Hello, My Name is Doris, but she's she's getting too old to be like the Norma Ray character where she's kind of a even though like she's 30 in Norma Ray, but she's still like young Badass. and virile. And yeah, she's tough. And I mean, she still plays the role. OK, but I don't think it's her best performance by any means. And I don't think she needed to do this movie. Like, I could see her being a true badass, and that this movie doesn't give us that. She doesn't... We, we get very a bad montage of her, like, training, um, and she only gets to uh, kill Dube so late in the film. And in that moment, I think she's a badass. But, like, when you look at, like, Death Wish, there's a lot of killing. Maybe pr too much, because it is an exploitation film. But, like, this... It doesn't even, like, I, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like the vigilante side is really there. Like, it, it, this movie dances around so many elements of this that none of them really get any any true work given that makes it substantial or significant or, like, what makes it stand out. It almost it almost feels like it could have been a miniseries where, like, these were episodes, like, yes! weeks of this where... I don't, you know, I don't want that in a movie. I need a, a thorough story where we're not jumping around days and weeks and, and months in a way that feels erratic. Because that's the other, there's so many scenes in this movie that do nothing. They add nothing to the overall narrative. It's just like cut to her tucking in the kid, go away, like it's done. Or I, I there were a few scenes, I, I don't know if I made any notes when the scenes were just like, what is happening? Um, yeah, I got, I don't, I didn't take specific notes on those things, but it, I did, I did say, I have a note that says scenes seem slightly random, like they're just bouncing around. Um, it's just, uh, it's so cheesy. Um, 
when she was dicing the tomatoes though uh right before that's the scene where ed harris gets mad at her for saying he doesn't understand because he julie wasn't his daughter or whatever um i thought she was gonna like cut her finger off or something because she was like going ham which was really like i get again yes she's so obsessed that she's not like she's like taking it out on the tomatoes but it also felt kind of silly you know (laughs) like i mean it'd be like if she just started doing like martial arts like with like nunchucks with like breadsticks or something you know i mean like it would have been like okay i get she's training but why is this like how she's you know taking it out um yeah uh, all right i'm i'm ready to give my point of view what what do you are you good with that yeah I don't know if you if you're guessing this, but I don't do this very I'm often. Gonna go with avoid, like, the plague. I, I'm gonna go avoid like the plague. Um, I really, really think this movie's trash, and um, there are this story. The premise alone is a a story that can be explored. I don't think this movie explores it well. I think there are better movies. I, I'm not gonna say De- uh, Death Wish is a better movie. Honestly, Punisher, his family isn't raped. But the idea of a family being taken from you and you feeling uh, the only choice is to get revenge, those stories exist in a lot of ways. Punisher would be one that I would like. And I'll admit the 2004 Thomas Jane Punisher is not a great movie. I like it, but I definitely like it more than this. Um, so avoid like the plague for eye for an eye for me. And where does it fall for you, Corey? I'll go with... <sighs> Dang it. Mm, I guess I'll go with I don't know actually because now that you've talked about it because I don't look at films the same way you do I feel True. like you're and you don't have to and you don't have to uh, but we don't do you... the show to agree together no but you bring up things that I don't realize or that I don't you know even you know when I'm watching a movie I don't see all the technical aspects or like all these different things and now I I don't know. Like, I never didn't believe her emotion in the movie, I guess. Which gotcha. is what kind of got me. I I don't know. Got you. Got you. Uh, I'm torn between now because talking with you, avoid like the plague and not a total waste of time. Really? You can go higher, Corey. You don't have to, you know, if you like the movie. But I, I don't really know that I liked it. Got it. I'll go with not a total waste of time. All right. Well, let's look at what we're going to watch next week. Um, this one God. is part of a, uh, a box set that we bought um, to watch two of the movies in the box set. And it's kind of interesting because have you, have you looked at this at all to see the connection that we're about to get? Yeah, it's the same director. Is it Isn't really? It? No, it is not. Thank God. I was actually going to Well, I think was. our fourth movie is, the, is one of the same directors. I think it's Murphy's Romance. So. Oh, okay. Well, that could be. Um, but this movie um, is directed by. Uh, this is uh, we didn't say the movie. This movie is Places in the Heart. Is that right? Am I saying it right? Places in the Heart. That is correct. Um, directed by Ro- Robert Benton, and he has directed. Uh, well, he's a credited writer for Kramer versus Kramer, which we did an episode on, which I really liked that movie a whole lot. Um, he's. Oh, I guess he also directed Kramer versus Kramer. So this is the second film of his that I have seen. Um, he oh yeah. Did uh nothing else that I'm familiar with, but some stuff that looks kind of crappy. Billy Basket I've heard of, but I don't know. But um going here the cast though, it, one uh it's this movie's from 1984. Um the premise is in Central Texas in the 1930s, which kind of makes me a little apprehensive. I don't always like period pieces and this it 
it looks kind of rough like visually so far like looking at the pictures um central texas 1930s a widow with two small children tries to run her small 40 acre farm with the help of two desperate people um but co-stars ed harris so uh sally field and ed harris working together in 1984 uh 12 years later they'll make a crappy movie that made me frustrated um made him hate me for an hour and 41 minutes i'm kidding (laughs) i i got confused so no it's the director who did murphy's romance also did norma ray ah that that's what it is but murphy's romance is what we're watching in two weeks but did you notice that one of your boys is in that one murphy's romance yeah i'm pretty sure that's the one that has god i feel like i have so many boys okay well i I just said who yeah, I didn't realize that. I think he's in that one. I might be wrong. Yeah, Maybe. he is. Okay. Um, so in this movie, though, uh, we're still talking places in the heart here. Uh, Sally Field, Ed Harris, Amy Madigan, John Malkovich shows up looking, I'm what? guessing, kind of young. Danny Glover. Uh, I'm always a fan of him. Not always, but mostly. Um, and then I think, oh, Terry O'Quinn, who is John Locke in Lost, which I have not seen him in many earlier things. So I'm kind of intrigued by that. Ooh, Lane Smith who is in, uh, he's the father in Son-in-Law, and he's uh, the attorney oh. in My Cousin Vinny, um, and the coach in, he's the, the bad coach in Mighty Ducks. I'm a fan of that actor. Um, uh, and then that's, that looks like the gist of the big names um, looking, kind of scrolling through, because it's got a long cast here on IMDb, but um, I, I didn't know much about this movie, but this is where she'll win her second Oscar. Um, just a few years after Norma Ray. Uh, she wins for Best Actress in a Leading Role, and this movie also won Best Screenplay. Um, it was nominated for Best Picture, uh, nominated for uh, John Malkovich for Best Supporting Actor, and Lindsay Krause for Best Supporting Actress. Um, I want to see what won Best Picture in 1985 here. Hang on a second. Come on, let me go. Wait, what? What? Come on. Okay, well, usually I can click the award and it'll take me to the award, but it's not, so I'm going to have to Google it. Um, but... Uh, that's what we're going to be watching next week. In the meantime, um, uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow me at Burke Reviews. Corey, where can they find you on social media? At Corey R. Star, two R's on the end. Amadeus. And, uh, oh, is that... I, you know what? I've never seen that, and I really, really need to watch that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Amadeus wins, so that makes sense. Um, that movie's fairly iconic uh it's one that always comes up and it's one that i know i really need to watch i just have not made it to it um it looks like sally field's speech might be out there second win though for this um and uh oh i didn't realize f murray abraham was in amadeus um oh this is the year jeff bridges was nominated for starman um that's cool I i don't think i realized he was nominated for that um where's the best picture category costume directing documentary uh, film editing, foreign language, makeup, music, 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 best picture. Here we go. Nominees for best picture that year. Amadeus wins, uh, but The Killing Fields, A Passage to India, Places in the Heart, and A Soldier Story. So of those five movies, I've heard of three of them. I, I've heard of The Killing Fields, I've heard of Amadeus, and I've heard of, now obviously, I had not heard of Places in the Heart until looking into Sally Field movies that I'd never seen. So, um, I picked her two movies, and it was kind of unfair. I picked her two movies that she won Oscars for um, because I'm like, well, I've never seen either one of those, and she won Oscars, so why not go with those if we're looking for the best actress goes to? Um, 
your strategy was a little different. Uh, but I will say your strategy was cost effective because I didn't have to pay to watch no. Eye for an Eye. So that is a bonus. <laughs> um, yes. Well, with that, listeners, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on Eye for an Eye. Do you agree with me? Do you agree with Corey? Um, you can reach out to us again on social media, as I said. You can read my reviews at BerkReviews.com. And Corey does some uh, monthly articles. Hopefully she'll do some kind of review of Record Store Day, um, since it is a big day oh. for those who love it. Uh, she usually does. And uh, we'll be back next week with our review of Places in the Heart. You can, again, uh, if you want to, use the Anchor.fm app. You can call into our show, leave us a voicemail, and potentially end up on an episode. Um, with that, until next time keep watching movies this has been a burke reviews podcast burkereviews.com do you like movies do you like podcasts or are you just lonely if the answer is yes and even if it's not then check out the what i watch tonight shows filmtastic selection of podcasts covering the entire movie verse there's something for everyone so come check it out more details at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk or from all good podcast providers.